Warning, this podcast contains heavy spoilers for not just one movie, but entire franchises. We highly recommend going and watching these movies before listening to us as a companion piece that stitches all the timelines into one creepy, crime-ridden story. There will be no more spoiler warnings. We do not break character. After this, there is no turning back. You've been warned. Hit the music. You are talking about the nonsensical ravings of a lunatic mind. It's alive! It's alive! It's alive! On the afternoon of August 18, 1973, five young people in a Volkswagen van ran out of gas on a farm road in South Texas. Four of them were never seen again. The next morning, the one survivor, Sally Hardesty, was picked up on a roadside, blood caked in screaming murder. Sally said she had broken out of a window in hell. The girl babbled a mad tale, a cannibal family in an isolated farmhouse, chainsawed fingers and bones, her brother, her friends hacked up for barbecue, chairs made of human skeletons. Then she sank into catatonia. Texas lawmen mounted a month-long manhunt, but upon locating the macabre farmhouse, they could find no killers and no victims. No facts, no crime. Officially, on the record, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre never happened. But over the next 13 years, over and over again, reports of bizarre, grisly chainsaw mass murders persisted all across the state of Texas. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre had not stopped. It haunted Texas. It seemed to have no end. Hello and welcome to It's a Live Alive podcast. This is a true crime paranormal interstellar podcast breaking down unbelievable stories that sound like they were ripped straight from the pages of a Hollywood script. I am your host, the man of many names, the outlaw Harley Ray, the bruiser Bronson, Dr. H.R. Smokenstein, THC, or you can just call me Josh for short. And with me as always is my very own Scream Queen, the perfect combination of beauty and brains, the gorgeous, the sexy Amy Rose. No joke for us today. Huh? No joke. Well, this is a very serious matter we're going to discuss today. Okay. Can't be running around making jokes when there's cannibals involved. That's unusual for you. Oh, I could tell you some funny shit. <laughs> you heard about the uh, Mexican, the ancient Mexican aliens. They're little concrete statues. Yeah, well, that's what they look like. <laughs> <laughs> they do look, if, they're, if they were real, they'd freak me out. Because I, there's two things that I can't stand, right? That I would kind of be afraid of. Mm. A human that is that small, like, that is like below my knee height. That can yeah. run around, that like elfish, goblin-y kind of fucking thing. That will creep me out because they can get around quick and they can do damage. Okay. And big thing, things that are bigger than me. I don't well, like they're definitely bigger. not bigger than you. I, I but like, like I don't know. Like if I saw a giraffe, I'd be a bit nervous of a giraffe because it's huge. Do you know what I mean? Elephants, for some reason, I got I get over. I think I've been around an elephant. Is once. that because the proportions on an elephant looked well? I suppose no. I just generally don't like anything bigger than me. I remember as a kid, I used to like shit myself going into the cinema 
because the thought of all these big, huge actors on the screen in front of me scared the life I thought of you were going to say big, huge screen, but it was the pictures on the oh, screen. Oh, yeah, 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 the idea of something. Okay. And I was always terrified that something would jump out at the screen. I was trying to get one of those cheap scares in a horror movie where they try, like, especially yeah. when they got into the 3D mode and they started throwing stuff at the screen. <laughs> I was always terrified they'd do that to me when I was in the cinema as a kid. I, I never it. did because I would never had a horror movie when I was a kid. But anyway, back to these little things that they creep me out the look of them creep me out but they're like your typical grey style alien what we're what we've been taught to, to think an alien looks like but they're tiny yeah and this guy who what's he saying so two alleged non-human alien corpses have been shown to Mexican politicians the mummified specimens were displayed in glass cases as part of an official unveiling at Mexico's Congress in a hearing which was which has stirred excitement among UFO enthusiasts now Mm. That sounds very official, doesn't it? It does. But it from what I have heard, it? it is like uh, basically like open mic night in Congress. Like you get, it's like do you know when you see like uh, the Americans having their kind of like their uh, community kind of you know where there's politicians sitting up there yeah, and, yeah. and ask your question to them and ask them what they're the council and shit like that. It's essentially what this was. Anyone could come in and say whatever the fuck they want. So hang on, was it the government shoulder or where people came into this night and showed? They, they showed the government. Yeah, these, these, you, they showed the government, and the government showed. The from what I can tell, here we'll have a look and we'll see. Politicians were told they were found in the city of Cusco, Peru and were estimated to be about a thousand years old. The Mexico City event was spearheaded by journalist and UFO researcher Jamie Mosen, who testified under oath that almost a third of their DNA is unknown, and the specimens are not part of our terrestrial evolution, Mexican media reported. So he's claiming there's some DNA in there that okay. ain't ours, ain't from this earth. I think their heads are quite sh- very Yoda-shaped. Yoda shaped. No, as in the no ch- like the chin under the chin. Oh, yeah, okay, see. I can, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah, I thought you were talking because it's really With long ears head and like the, it. No, yeah, no, no, no. I get to the chin Underneath, area. Yeah, 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 the tiny little mouth kind mm-hmm. of thing. Yeah, these specimens are not part of our evolutionary history on Earth. He said in a presentation to Mexican government officials and representatives from the U.S. They are not beings recovered from a UFO crash. Instead, they were found in. Diatom algae mines and subsequently became fossilized. Could you be fossilized that quick in a thousand years? See, now that they've said mines, my thing is you, you can't be fossilized that quick, but they, if you were in a cave, like if it was like salt and all that involved, you could just kind of like crystallize, but it's still fossilized. Mm, okay. But in terms of like, you know, like, like hitting the side of a, like a, of a cliff and seeing all the things inside, yeah, it wouldn't be long enough for that. Um, however, a 2015 claim by Mr. Mousen that a mummified body purportedly, purportedly that of an alien found near Nazca in Peru was later debunked as it was shown to be a human child. That's not a human fucking child. No way that's mm, a human child. If, if there's something wrong with them, maybe. It looks, do you know what it looks like proportion wise? Do you ever see an American dad? There is that kind of zombie, weird he zombie kid that was yeah, made up by a professor. Like. Yeah, that's what he looks mm. like. Yeah, it was like he's Shall stitched we? together. Yeah, I don't know. know. Like, what's going on with its 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 uh, collarbone is like way out and all, yeah. here, and it's weird. Speaking about the largest discovery, the latest discovery in Mexico City delegations that the specimen had been examined by an autonomous national university of Mexico. 
He said scientists use radiocarbon dating to gather DNA evidence and x-rays and sh- to had shown one of had eggs inside. Oh fuck. This Hang is on now. Spider eggs? Like a spider went in and laid eggs? Did they specify no, what I kind of eggs? No, I think alien eggs inside there. Alright, if that's the autonomous, I'm just no. saying he looks like Boris Johnson. <laughs> uh, that's him, that's the, the, the guy that, that had, has the aliens. Okay. So, um, no, I will say we are talking about the same country whose president, not long ago, posted a picture on social media claiming to have a picture of a, what would they call it? I think it's an elf. He yeah, said, I elf. think it's an elf. Mexican president posted a photo on social media accounts Saturday showing what he said appeared to be a mythological woodland spirit similar to an elf. President Andre Manuel Lopez of Obrador did not seem to be joking when he posted the photo of an alux, a mischievous woodland spirit in Mayan folklore. This is from, fuck this is from this year too. <laughs> it's from February. Um, Next to be showing us the chupacabra. He said it was taken three days ago by an engineer. It appears to be an alux. That's the way you'd say that, isn't it? Alux? 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 It's Spanish. Uh, everything is mystical. Uh, the night time. Yeah, the picture. Look, this is what he should have thought about. It's like a tree, but it looks like there's something. Like, no, it doesn't look small. It looks fucking like a human-sized person, doesn't it? It looks like a human-sized person with a grey wig or a monkey. Yeah. Do they have monkeys in Mexico? Oh, good question. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> fucking top notch research around here hang on no man I'm going to find this out right now while we're recording do they have monkeys they in have Mexico? monkeys in the oddest places I know that they do I just don't know if they do in, 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 uh... monkeys in Mexico. I would say no I would say they're not like and you would there are two main species oh. of monkeys in Mexico the Mexican black howler monkey <gasps> it looks Bet you it's a howler monkey. And I've seen them. And the Yucatan spider monkey. Oh, the Yucatan. Uh, they all uh, are also known as Jeffrey spider <laughs> monkey. <laughs> Jeffrey spider <laughs> monkey. Oh, God. Well, at least it's either in Yucatan spider monkey. The Yucatan. Yucatan. Oh, you are so much better than this, man. But, uh, yeah. So Mexico is filling up with tiny little aliens and elves. How does he know that it wasn't? They're not the same thing. Could be a howler monkey in that tree. See? Yeah, 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 they do have. Yeah, definitely. That's what it is. I I didn't know that they that Mexico had them, but that's the monkey I had in my head. And that 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 fossil they have is hardly from a fucking monkey. We have monkey a look. size, isn't it? Compare the 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 monkey to the fossil. <laughs> oh well, it. yeah. Look, a short chin. Look, look at that. Mexico, we have ye. It's a fucking monkey. That's what it is. Howler monkey. <laughs> That's what the fossil is a monkey. Bullshit, you're aliens. <laughs> <laughs> debunked. <laughs> well, uh, they're debunked. And then all the people getting cancelled this week again. Well, he has, has Russell Brand been cancelled yet? Is he officially cancelled? I don't think it's looking good for the man. <laughs> <laughs> well, we were talking about that only yesterday. It's like, you know, you never know in these situations. Because some people have been let go from the entertainment industry for really small things. Mm. Or what you perceive small compared to what has been done. Mm-hmm. And then there's other people who have done really, really shitty things like Chris Brown. Mm-hmm. And that fucker is picking up awards every fucking... Didn't he pick up an award last week? He did. He See, my thing about Russell Brand is I was like, in my head, I was like, I'm, I'm going to watch the episode and then I'll see what it's about. And then I heard about the, the Jimmy Savile phone call and I was like, well, that's pretty much 
That's where they're like, uh, Jimmy Savile's basically telling him to send over his assistant in the nip, is it? First, asking, inquiring about if he had a sister first, though. <laughs> it's, yeah. Do you think if he had said, I do have a sister, but you can't have her, you can have my assistant, Jimmy Savile would have been like, no, I, I, I'd rather do the nastiest thing possible oh, to you. Oh, I'd, I'd say he'd find some way of insisting on this. Oh, I didn't know. Why did no one say anything? Was he making the BBC that much money? Jimmy know. Savile. Like. The look of him made me uncomfortable. Even before all oh, this that's came what I'm out. Saying. Like, like, I remember just... as a kid seeing him on TV and thinking, he's a dirty looking person. I wouldn't want him to know he'd scare me, yeah. And, 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 you know, was he, he must have been like, how much money was he bringing into the BBC that this was okay like you know I, an awful lot I would assume and then Russell he had Brown all that for, like power and they it was but that's what they were saying yeah. right? that he basically had stro- uh, stroke over everybody and then no one really knows what? why or who he had fucking dirt on <laughs> the queen <laughs> <laughs> they're all reptilians that's what it was they were covering up for him Jimmy if Savile anyone looks looked like at a, a reptilian, reptilian Jimmy fucking yeah. Savile is a reptilian or was a reptilian. But yeah, Russell Brand is going to go down as the next Jimmy Savile. And I uh, see the fuck up. Well, I mean, yeah. obviously not that bad, but no. pretty bad. I would but, uh, say, though, in the eyes, he looks like a bit of a rep. He could be a reptilian, too. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> but he's got cult leader vibes just banging off him, doesn't yeah. he? Mm-hmm. And I mean, maybe this is what pushes him into it. If he's completely pushed out of the limelight now, the only way to get people's attention would be through one of these little fucking freaky yoga cults. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. He's like the uh, British version of Jared Leto. With I their would. Culty. Yeah, but yeah. Yeah, I, I don't mind some of Jared Leto stuff though. I, I don't mean, mind some of Jared Leto like or Russell Brand stuff, but I think in real life they come across like the whole. But you know what? We were talking about that then as well, Russell Brand. You're just after saying there you don't mind some of his stuff. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you, you know, the hard part now is for people to like separate art from the artist. Like I was saying to you yesterday, I had to do it with uh, Danny Masterson. Because mm-hmm. I love Hyde. Yeah. And I love Rooster. Mm-hmm. But what he's done is terrible. No, to be honest, yeah, oh, well. I was already on my way to cutting ties with that man in, 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 in my mind as soon as I found out he was a Scientologist. Yeah. And I was like, hopefully he'll get out of it and cop on to himself. But then all this shit came out and it's like, oh, no. Well, no, he's a rapist and a Scientologist. <laughs> Double whammy. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. But it's just like, you know, trying to separate that. Because I could still watch that 70s show and I still enjoy Hyde. I still watch The Ranch and I still enjoy Rooster. Oh, they're funny. But, yeah. it's, but I remember like, you know, and this is a more serious version of this, is when the whole Chris Benoit thing went on, right? Mm-hmm. And I was, um, a couple of years later, I started wrestling. Yeah. And I remember like uh, one day we were training and we were um, in this job, taking a break, having yeah. lunch basically. And it, the discussion came up of Chris Benoit and a few people's reaction was, I will not even watch that man's match. Or it was about like, who was the greatest wrestler? And someone mentioned him and I was like, I won't even watch his fucking matches. He's disgusting. I know, I said that. But I was sitting there and I was thinking, it's like what he did was disgusting. Mm-hmm. What he did in real life was disgusting. But you are still... A good, he was still a great wrestler. You can't take that away just because it doesn't. We don't have to celebrate it, but you can't can say he wasn't. Same way, as you know what I mean? There might have been like like war like people that were like awful and what they did like in real, but like they were great tacticians. But that's it. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. There's no kind of getting away from that. And I feel bad. See, that's another kind of example then of people like vilifying him straight away. But then you got to look at what was mental health and yeah. what was because I mean you look at the build up to his thing. And he was losing. He thought the mafia were coming after him. He was taking different routes to work. And the mafia definitely ways. weren't coming after him. I, I don't think so. <laughs> different. <laughs> and they reckon, but they reckon if he hadn't have fucking died, if he hadn't have killed himself, He'd have died he would have been died. He yeah. would have been dead in the year. Like, you know, his Jesus. heart, when they found him, his heart was enlarged and all that shit from years of 
steroids. But he had that thing wrong with from like concussion and stuff as like that. Didn't yeah. they? they? Wasn't that on the voice? But that his yeah. brain was like an eight-year-old dementia patient. Christ. And he was tipping forty, I think. Not even forty. Probably be my uh, my age when he died. Shit, would he? Would have been around it. Eddie Guerrero was about my age when he died as well. Mm. Do you know? Yeah. Same kind of shit. Heart problems from years of steroids. Yeah. No, he had been off him for a while. But fucking. Yeah. Well, I was just thinking that I remember seeing like kind of like later. I didn't think he looked like he was on steroids. But then we were talking about as well, like after Danny Masters and anything, and the Chris Brown situation. And I was asking you, where, who's deciding on on the the, the, the punishments here? Because like mm. with real law, you got you know there are set amount of years that yeah. go with each crime. And then it's like, why does Chris Brown get a pass and he's back on TV? And then other guys might have to fucking beg and grovel for something a lot less. Even guys who are going out there and might actually try and better themselves. Mm. Try and go get the help they need. Do you know, try and make things better. Do they not deserve a second chance when this prick is out here? And I'm pretty sure Rihanna isn't the only person he's the only woman he's been. No, I remember reading it that there was others. Yeah. And so I mean like, what way does it work? I need to know before I say something stupid people. Come on, give me a hand here. <laughs> How do I get away with that? <laughs> you just don't talk about anything other than the story that we came here to tell. So we'll have no more intros on this show. From now on it's just gonna go straight from music into story. Story. <laughs> and at the end of the story I go that's the end See you later. <laughs> and they all lived happily ever after <laughs> or <did they? laughs> anyway talking about people getting cancelled if these guys from the, the 70s here were uh, around the modern day they were definitely getting cancelled pretty sure eating people is a taboo subject yeah Ew. Yep. <laughs> so, that's why they did it did they do it for survival technically yes I'll get into it a bit more next was it survival because there was no other food there though it was poverty at the start okay but I, I will get into that next week okay we'll get into it because there's a lot here to do so in the summer of 1973 in the rural and far out suburbs of Dallas Texas a rash of grave robberies began to plague the area with graves not just being disturbed and robbed but macabre art pieces being erected in their place using the desecrated bodies as subject matter families from the area were forced to watch as their loved ones were di- dissected and put back together in what looked to be kind of like a satanically ritualistic fashion Okay. Police were stumped with no leads or motives to be found at the crime scene. Little did they know that these events would only mark the beginning of what would become a 23-year massacre unlike anything Texas, the United States, or even the world had ever seen before. Hey, you. Yeah, you. You like the podcast? Want some more? Then head on over to our Patreon page where for just five euro a month you get up to 12 extra shows in that month along with piles of mini-sodes covering fun facts from the world of horror and true crime. Each week we drop multiple shows such as Real Monsters where we look at the inspiration behind the movie killers or Behind the Mask where we take a look at the influential people and happenings in the world of Hollywood. All this, plus movie reviews, watch-alongs, and regular AMAs. That means ask me anything. You really do get a bang for your buck. And and by bang, I mean, like, podcast. I'm not soliciting or anything. Shit. Um, Moving on. For just five euro a month, all this could be yours. So head on over to www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. That's www.patreon.com forward slash IAAPod. And start listening now. 
Sally, 19, and Franklin Hardesty, 23, whose family originally came from the rural Dallas area, decided to use the strange events as an excuse to take a road trip. They planned to go along with friends Kirk, 20, Pam, 19, and Jerry, 22, to check on their grandfather's grave and ensure it was still in one piece, and then they could, you know, take off and go for a little party in the sun. Nice. The only account of what happened that day is from Sally Hardesty herself. She was the only member of the friend group to live long enough to see the day through. For years, this account has been seen as unreliable, due to Vasali being an absolute mess mentally when recounting the tale to authorities and doctors later. A short time after this, Sally would slip into a catatonic state to which she would never recover. Now, I spent a lot of time trying to figure out the best way to tell this story. Okay. I think I have it figured out. So what I'm going to do is, I'm going to tell you Sally's story first, in her words. From there, I'll move on and give you kind of the facts as we know, and maybe some bios of the suspects, and we'll Mm. finish up today on the rise and fall of Drayton Sawyer, a.k.a. Walter Edward Sawyer. Finish today, so this is like definitely a two-parter. At least. Today, we'll just be looking at the Sawyers between 1973 to 1986, and it's a story of madness, mayhem, butchering, and a human barbecue. It's a series in itself if we had the time to cover it. Next week, you get all that again, but adding conspiracy, MK Ultra, the Illuminati, a history of violence, and the truth behind Letterface. Okay, so lots of ground to cover then. Sure is, so let's get stuck in. So it's August 18th, 1973, and as I said, there's some nasty shit going on around the graveyards in Newton Muerto in Hunt County, Texas, just outside Dallas. Mm. Sally and the gang had been like enjoying the sweltering summer sun and driving across Texas, milking the closing months of vacation before returning to college a few weeks later in September. Sally and her brother Franklin had been looking for an excuse to escape the family home all summer, and when they heard their father's stress over missing work to go inspect his own father's grave, they jumped at the chance to volunteer the services hitting the road the very next day with all their friends in tow there's nothing better than a good road trip now to be honest i mean i miss it loading up the car with junk food and cds windows down volume up to the max stopping at every petrol station you see the pee good times yeah i love a good road trip (laughs) i'm pleased to say we get to start this episode with a little good news because when the hardesty siblings arrived at newt cemetery it was discovered that their grandfather's grave was one of the few left still intact that's it. That's all the good news we'll have for this episode. So, yeah, hold on to that because once this takes off, this is a massacre in every sense and meaning of the word. Lovely. Being that they were close by, Sally and Franklin decided to take the opportunity to go discover their roots and decided to follow along the trail to where the old Hardesty farm once stood. It was as they went along this trail that they saw a hitchhiker standing with his thumb out, melting at the side of the road. Fucking roasting in Texas <laughs> in the summer. Yeah, I can imagine. Feeling bad for him, the gang pulled over to pick him up. This was their first mistake. The man only known to Sally as the hitchhiker is presumed to be Nubbin Sawyer, joint second oldest brother. Joint because he had a twin brother. Brother, named Robert Choptop Sawyer, who we'll be meeting a little later in the story. No, I say presumed, because that's all we can really do in this case, presume. Because the Sawyers themselves aren't exactly the social number types. They were and had been off the grid for almost all of modern time. The dribs and drabs that we do know about them is patched together from information gathered by the army when brothers Robert and Wilmer served. We also have a few stories, urban legends and survivor testimony that passed around neighbouring counties around Texas throughout the 23-year killing spree. How do we know if, uh, do you know, like what happened to Sally was 
couch tonic. We'll get into that soon. We're getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to dig too far into the history of the Sawyers either right now because there's a lot of ground to cover. But in the next episode, we'll take a deep dive into the whole clan and their background. Okay. So, it is a little murky as to what happened here because, again, we only have the word of the very mentally unstable Sally Hardesty to go on. But she says that after picking up Nubbins, her brother Franklin and the hitchhiker started to hit it off. Although she said at this stage she believed him to be a man of special needs, saying he spoke like a child, giddy and chatty, while still a little withdrawn and shy. He and Franklin spoke about the now declining slaughterhouse business that used to once employ the people of these parts, including Nubbins' father and brother but due to the automation and rise of the machines in the industry people have been laid off and the area had become practically deserted Hmm. this slaughter talk was all a little too much for the girls who asked to change the subject this is when things kind of took a turn Nubbins began to empty his little satchel, producing pictures of a carcass he had butchered himself. He then snapped a Polaroid of Franklin and tried to sell it to him, before setting the picture on fire in the back of the van and attacking Franklin with a switchblade knife when he tried to stop him. Ooh. Obviously at this point, the group did the sensible thing, they pulled in, booted Nubbins in the roadside again and off they took to the Hardesty farm without him. As the car spun off though, Nubbins just had enough time to smear his blood in the side after cutting mm. his... Oh yeah, yeah, I forgot to mention that, he cut his own hand before he cut fucking Franklin why he had like this just because he was because sitting there he had it he had the switchblade he just sliced right across the palm of his hand and that was that should have been the first warning so they should have pulled over yeah, then and moved him out to be honest scarier. with you Franklin's wounds were only superficial and although he complained enough about it he would be fine without medical assistance not that he could have gotten any in the middle of nowhere Texas even if he needed it <laughs> and that's why you should always carry a first aid kit or just you know don't pick up the hitchhikers. <laughs> <laughs> Running low on fuel, they stopped at a rural gulf filling station, only to have the strange-looking man who runs it tell them that the tanks are empty and that he was waiting for the gas tanker to show up. When the old man learns of their destination and that it is the old Hardesty home, he advises the young people against going there, saying people who lived around the area were not receptive to strangers. Ignoring the old man's warning, they buy some barbecue sandwiches from the old man and depart for the family home, which they finally arrive at a short while later. If we've learned anything from our short time covering these stories, it's always listen to the old man's warnings. In fact, always listen to the locals' warnings. I mean, we saw on Summer Isle, in the Summer Isle episode, how how we could have left the situation at any time that he chose. They needed him to stay on that island of his own free will. Like, maybe it could have been the same for these kids. I'll tell you a little later why, but they had already been marked for slaughter. Yikes. So, as the group set out to investigate and search through the abandoned property, poor Franklin was stuck back in the van due to the rough terrain. Why? Oh, shit, yeah. Uh, Franklin's a paraplegic, so he's confined to a wheelchair. Unfortunately, the train was too rough and uh, not the most ideal setting for his chair. Oh, shit. The gang eventually split up, Kirk and Pam venturing off to find a swimming hole, and Jerry, Sally, and Franklin staying behind at the farm. A couple of hours passed, and with no sign of Kirk and Pam returning, Sally and Franklin began to get anxious, both wanting to move on before it got too late. They were still a little shook up after the run-in with Nubbins earlier that day, and Franklin in particular was nervous he might have followed them. Yeah, I'd be worried too. Like, they left for a swimming hole a couple of hours ago, yeah? I, mm-hmm. Like, what if they drowned or something? Yeah, and that's what Sally was thinking too. So, she sent Jerry packing, asking him to go check on the missing, the two missing lovebirds. And Der- Jerry did just that. He took off in search of Kirk and Pam but just like them he'd walk to the swimming hole never to be seen again 
Night came and with no sign of anyone returning, Sally and Franklin had to bite the bullet and go look for their friends. Yeah, after what happened with the hitchhiker earlier, I'm sorry, but if my friends go missing in that situation, I'm assuming that he's after catching up with us and attacked my friends. And it's dark, it's scary, I'm getting back in that van and going to find the cops. And Jerry has the keys. Damn it, Jerry. As if the situation wasn't bad enough, Franklin, being a bit of a wimp, refused to stay behind at the van alone and insisted that Sally pushed him along the unpaved path through the woods. Again, I will point out that this is all the testimony of a very mentally fragile Sally Hardesty. She states that as they struggled down the rocky train, a monster exploded out of the darkness, wheeling a chainsaw, and before she knew what was happening, it was hacking away at her older brother like a butcher does to me. Holy shit, a monster with a chainsaw, that's fucked up. Sally said she took off running aimlessly. Last time she had been to this farm, she was eight years old. It was now overgrown and the landscape had changed to that of her memory. But she could hear a noise in the distance. A homing. A gas generator. And without even thinking of the possibility that the monster might be the owner of said gas generator, she ran towards it. It was there she found an old farmhouse and ran inside with the hopes of sanctuary. What she found was an Ed Gein-inspired funhouse. Oh, I know about Ed Gein. Now, he was a butcher of Plainfield or the Plainfield ghoul. He was an American murderer, suspected serial killer, and body snatcher. Gein's crimes committed in his around his hometown of Plainfield, Wisconsin, gathered widespread notoriety in 1957 after authorities discovered that he had exhumed corpses from local graveyards and fashioned keepsakes from their bones and skin. He also confessed the killings of two women, tavern owner Mary Hogan in 1954 and hardware store owner Bernice Warden in 1957. We'll be covering him next week on the Patreon for Real Monsters. So when you say the farmhouse was like Ed Gein's playhouse, you essentially mean that the furniture and decor is all human flesh and bones. Yeah, like Pee Wee's playhouse, except all the furniture died, causing Pee Wee to go on a murderous rampage. Rest in peace, Pee Wee. Mm. So Sally was inside, but far from safe. And as she took off up the stairs to find a hiding place, the hulking monster cut through the front door with his chainsaw, pounding up the steps behind her. She found a room to hide in, but when her eyes adjusted to the light, she could see she wasn't alone. A decrepit old couple, one the woman long dead, the other a man looked dead too but a bit more recent. More on that a little later. Sally was stuck, cornered in an upstairs room with the monster closing in on her, no way around him to get to the door. That was when Sally's fight or flight instinct kicked in and out of pure hope of self-preservation she burst through the upstairs window, rolling down the porch roof and landing relatively safely below. Adrenaline now in full gear she took off running from the house, hysterically screaming as she could still hear the roar of the monster's chainsaw follow her from the distance. Sally keeps running and running until she finally reaches the garage from earlier that day. She said once the garage was in sight, the revving of the chainsaw just started to die down in the distance. There she found the old man from before. She was hysterically telling the old man about the chainsaw-wheeling monster who killed her brother and taken her friends. And the old man said, look, he'll go and he'll help. Sally, give help, you know, bring her to the cops. While he was gone, Sally noticed the smoke pit from where the barbecue was made. Sally said she noticed something odd in the pit. But as she was about to go in for a closer look, the old man returned, suddenly attacking Sally, who tried to defend herself with a kitchen knife. But the old man knocked the knife out of Sally's hand with a broom. He then beat Sally unconscious with that broom, put a gunny sack over her head and used some twine to tie her up. Another Sawyer. Yup. Okay, it's honesty time. We have a confession to make. 
We suck at socials. No good at Insta. Can't send a tweet or an X or whatever that super villain looking motherfucker is calling it now. Stick to your space cars, Elon. But we know you want to chat. You want to be kept updated. You want to be alive alive all the goddamn time. So we're getting down from the anti-social soapbox and giving this a try. So come chat to us on Insta and Twitter at Alive Alive Pod or hit us up by email at itsalivealivepod at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Tell us what you like, what you don't like. This is a project. It's still a work in progress and we just want to give you more what you like and less of what you can't stand. So give us a like, give us a follow. We'll always hit you back and we'll always try to reply to everyone. So come say hi. We don't bite. Well, at least Amy doesn't. And she keeps me well fed, so you got nothing to worry about. Now, back to the show. <laughs> when Sally woke, she woke to... Well, you remember the part in Alice in Wonderland? The Mad Hatter's Tea Party? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, imagine that if it was organized by Ed Gein and Jeffrey Dahmer. Mm, fun. Sally's hands were bound, quite literally, to the arms of the homemade chair. They were human arms, weren't they? Yep. Chair straight out of hell, lady. First person she saw was Nubbins causing her to scream. Then she saw the old man arguing with the monster. The monster looked different now. His face it was caked in makeup, and his demeanor was much more docile and timid than before. The old man had a firm hold over him, and at the time Sally thought he was possibly the monster's father, it was then she heard the monster's name for the first time. Leatherface. That's when she finally stopped to take a look at him. When she finally realized that the monster was a hulking man in a mask. But not just any old Halloween mask. No. It was the mask of human flesh. The face of one of his victims. (laughs) Face swapping before it was cool. (laughs) With a Donner Party team for the night, the family prepared and set the table in front of her. With all three brothers practically bursting with excitement. But before they could dish up the food, there was one more member of the family to come to the table. Nubbins and Leatherface went to get Grandfather Earl from upstairs. Uh, they left the old man upstairs with the two old corpses. The old man was one of the two old corpses. Mm. Earl Sawyer, at this point, was supposed to be 124 years old, Bullshit. having been born in 1849. Yes. <laughs> Probably, but that's the age Drayton Sawyer claimed him to be, and he looked it too, apparently. Looking like a freshly rotten corpse. And if you believe two separate survivors, he was alive and kicked. Mm-hmm. Well, he was alive at least all the way up to 1986, making him the grand old age of, what do we say, 136, 137? Yeah, 137, 138. Around that when he finally died, although conflicting account does claim that he survived longer to 1990, making him about 140, 141, but you can decide that for yourself later. But how could Sally tell if he was alive if he was a barely moving, rotting corpse? Oh, you're going to love this. <laughs> Am I? <laughs> Is the monster letter face? held Sally's arm out Nubbins sliced her finger letting out a little stream of blood then Leatherface forcibly stuck it into Grandfather's mouth who began to suck on it excitingly shuffling in his chair with joy (laughs) yeah the sheer terror of it all caused Sally to pass out too (laughs) this time waking up at the dinner table with everyone in place ready to begin the meal she screamed Nubbins screamed and howled Leatherface just howled, and the old man howled and laughed. The scene was chaos. 
The family tormented her for the rest of the night, forcing her to sit there at the table while they ate a meal that was obviously made up of human flesh. Yeah. All night they mocked and played with Sally, but to Sally, in her dread-induced shock, all of it came out as muffled noise. I imagine it would be like Snoopy when the adults are talking. <laughs> wah, 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 wah. <laughs> she could hear them interact with each other. She said it sounded like they were arguing. Next thing she remembered hearing is Nubbins screaming something about giving her to Grandpa. Let him have some fun before Bubba takes her face. <laughs> she thought this was it. She went into total fucking panic <laughs> let her face came together dragging her across the room to where the old decrepit man sat they put a bucket under her head to catch the blood then they got a large mallet like hammer and put it into the hand of the corpse like grandfather sawyer nubbins held sally in place as Letterface guided his grandfather's arm and to be fair the old man got it landed a few licks but he was too weak to finish the job and an overexcited and impatient nubbins let sally go in order to grab the hammer to do the job himself this was it, Sally's one chance to get away, and just like she did earlier when she was cornered by the monster letterface, she took off towards the nearest window and burst her way through again. <laughs> She's gonna always as <laughs> a fortune in windows. She'd make a fucking fortune though as a stunt woman later. Bursting through windows, action movies. She could be the chick that every time there's an explosion, she's the one like bursting through the window and then flying through the air with flames, got a lot of fireballs coming up behind her. <laughs> one to put in the CV. It was morning now and bright. It took her eyes a second to adjust. And that's really all the time she had, a second, because the brothers were coming hot in her heels. Sally took off running towards the road, caked in blood and screaming at the top of her voice. Again, behind her, she could hear the roar of the chainsaw as Leatherface and Nubbins came bounding up behind her. Nubbins got close and as they reached the main road, he had a hold of her shirt, slicing away at her back with a blade. But in all his excitement, Nubbins failed to see the oncoming truck coming around the bed. Sally moved just in time but Nubbins wasn't so lucky and got splattered across the road covering an already caked Sally in even more blood. The startling and confused truck driver got out of his cab to survey the damage but before he could ask any questions was met by a now irate and confused letter face. Nubbins dead had fried his already fragile mind and he was basically just swinging his chainsaw around like a lunatic. Oh yeah because just now he started acting crazy. <laughs> now he's starting to look like a lunatic. It was in this frenzy that he apparently accidentally cut his own leg, slowing him down just long enough for Sally to flag down another truck, a pickup truck with an open bed. The truck driver that killed Nubbins took off running. He was never, he never came forward. He was never seen again. I'm not even sure if he got away, to be honest, because in my head, I reckon like Drayton was probably waiting for him or fucking Leatherface was going hunting that guy down after he realized he had lost his, you know, main target yeah but he left his truck behind like surely they could match the truck to the driver like he has to have it registered to himself or whatever company he, he drives for yeah, we're gonna get to that anyway sally got into the back of the truck and the driver pulled a u-turn and haul ass out of there leaving the monster alone swinging his tool in the wind screaming and squealing like a pig in distress sally was safe but her mind would never be free again never free from the memory of the monster letterface or his demented cannibal brothers poor sally but she survived and at least that means that she could testify against the pricks and see them all fry like her friends in the farm. So like how did that all work out? The investigation and the arrest? It didn't. Well, not the way you'd hope anyway. 
Sally was broken in every sense of the word. She babbled this story back to police and the parts they could understand they could hardly believe. Sally couldn't give them solid information and she was only getting worse. She was slipping further and further away with each passing day and the police at this point only had a general idea of the area it might have happened in. Rough descriptions of suspects and no names to go by. Their only hope was to find the abandoned truck left on the roadside if the Sawyers hadn't moved it already. That or surely the bloodstained road where Nubbins was killed. But what about the guy who saved Sally? Like, he'd remember where he picked her up, right? Like, he hardly was traumatised into amnesia by the whole instance. Yeah, that guy dropped Sally to the hospital and as soon as the nurses had her in, her care, in their care, he was gone. Like Ooh. a ghost. Another mystery in the sick, twisted story. Shit. Cops could only assume the guy just decided to wash his hands of the situation. Probably not too interested in getting wrapped up in a mass murder case or having his name mixed up in all the mess. Could you really blame him? So, a month-long search for the house and filling station got underway, and after a lot of searching, authorities finally came across the location they are now sure was the scene of the crime. But at the time, they were just going off of clues and common sense. Mm. They found the bloodstained road, and with the house and filling station in close proximity, they could only deduce that they were in the right place. Mm. Only problem is, there was nothing there. No Sawyers. No bodies, no evidence at all. Nothing but nubbins, leftover blood, and in 1973, that wasn't worth a whole lot. Why did it take them so long? Like, surely they would have started their investigation at the Hardesty farm first and then found the Sawyers living in close proximity. Yeah, they would have if they had known Sally was a Hardesty. Yeah. At this point, she was a crazy Jane Doe, or Sally Doe at least. They were able to get her first name out of her. Okay. No, it wasn't until her uncle, Lieutenant Bodie Lefty Enright, former Texas Ranger, came looking for her and Franklin that the police knew who they were dealing with, consequently tipping them off to where the possible crime site was. But like I said, the house and garage were clear. The only indication of a name was a pair of overalls found in the garage with the name tag W.E. Slaughter on them. The only indication of the missing kids that they had even been there was the van with Nubbin's blood smeared on the side, which was still which still sat abandoned at the Hardesty home. Mm, W.E. Slaughter, yeah, I get it. Very funny. Oh, you know, I've been wondering, do you think Nubbin's had the, had the blood on the van as a way to mark it for his brothers? Like, almost like marking them for slaughter before sending them up the line, like, to the kill room? Yeah, I think so. It all seems like too much of a coincidence. And we go on to learn this wasn't the Sawyer's first rodeo. They had this whole scenario well planned out in practice. So unfortunately, with no bodies, no evidence, and no eyewitness, the missing teens were marked just that. Missing. And the Texas Chainsaw Massacre slipped into history, nothing more than an urban legend. Leatherface, just another boogeyman. What do you mean no witnesses? What about Sally? Well, she had gone full-blown catatonic at this stage. From this point on, Sally can't help any investigation anymore. So the Sawyers just get away? For now. And for the next 13 years, they would keep to the back roads, feeding on anyone unfortunate enough to cross their path. 1973 was the first time they had nearly been exposed. After managing to stay successfully off the radar for anywhere up to a hundred years, if Earl's given age is to be believed, Drayton, being the eldest, needed to regroup. At this point, he was alone in hiding with his grandfather and Leatherface, or Bubba as he had been known to go by, and he wasn't getting any younger. 
Drayton was born in 1920, making him um, 53 at the time. Okay. Bobo was 1947, making him 26 at the time. And Nubbins and Chop Top were born together. They were twins. They were in between the other two. They were 28 years old each. I am dying to hear more about this Chop 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 Top fella. Like, <laughs> how do you get a name like that? Lucky for you, Chop Top is just about to join our story. Mm. Wiley's brothers hid in the back roads of deep rural Texas. Robert Sawyer was at war. The Vietnam War, to be exact. So the Vietnam War went from 1954 to 1975 and was a protracted conflict that pitted the communist government of North Vietnam and its allies in South Vietnam, known as the Viet Cong, against the government of South Vietnam and its principal ally, the United States. Called the American War in Vietnam, or in full, the war against the Americans to save the nation. The war that sounds like such a team of anti-team America. <laughs> team America, definitely. <laughs> the war was also part of a larger regional conflict and a manifestation of the Cold War between the United States and the Soviet Union and their respected allies, respective allies, pardon me. At the heart of the conflict was the desire of North Vietnam, which had defeated the French colonial administration of Vietnam in 1954, to unify the entire country under a single communist regime modelled after those of the Soviet Union and China. The South Vietnamese government, on the other hand, fought to preserve a Vietnam more closely aligned with the West. U.S. military advisers, present in small numbers throughout the 1950s, were introduced on a large scale beginning in 1961, and active combat units were introduced in 1965. By 1969, more than 500,000 U.S. military personnel were stationed in Vietnam. Meanwhile, the Soviet Union and China poured weapons, supplies and advisers into the North, which in turn provided support, political direction and regular combat troops for the campaign in the South. The costs and casualties of the growing war proved too much for the United States to bear, and U.S. combat units were withdrawn by 1973. In 1975, South Vietnam fell to a full-scale invasion by the North. The human costs of the long conflict were harsh for all involved. Not until 1995 did Vietnam release its official estimate of war dead. As many as 2 million civilians on both sides and some 1.1 million North Vietnamese and Viet Cong fighters. The US military has estimated that between 200,000 and 250,000 South Vietnamese soldiers died in the war. And near the end of that war, Robert was attacked by a machete-wheeling enemy soldier who sliced a chunk out of the top of his head. This led to him having a metal plate put into his head, earning him the name Chop Top. And after some time in the VA hospital, was given a settlement and released from the army. It was while he was in the VA hospital that he started to get regular mail again, corresponding back and forth in coded letters to Drayton, making plans for his homecoming and a resurgence to the public as a respectable family with a barbecue and chili business. Yeah, I wouldn't be eating anything that they made just in case. Wait, like, who, oh, was there a human in the barbecue in Drayton's filling station? The barbecue he sold to people, like Sally and her friends bought some, yeah? I can neither confirm nor deny, but I can tell you if they hadn't been doing it up until this point, they were about to start doing it in a big way. Ugh. Because once he was released from the VA hospital, Chop Top rejoined his family and purchased an abandoned amusement park located in Dallas called Texas Battleland. Amazing. Using money he received from the government 
government after being discharged from the military for his injury. This is where the family would finally settle down and start their new venture. The last roundup roll and grill barbecue and chili, a mobile fast food truck that would slaughter, butcher and sell their own meat to the public, with the team park being used as a production factory. Disgusting. <laughs> like Joel Metheny, didn't he kill sex workers, then mix their flesh in with minced beef and pork, then to sell them on to the public from a small barbecue stand that he ran. The same with pig farmer, farmer Robert Picton. Like he was believed that the meat he gave to his employees on the farm is suspected to be meat taken from his victims. Exactly like that. But before we push on, do you want to know something nasty about Chop Top? Go on, sir. At some point, right, Chop Top's metal plate became exposed, like mm-hmm. flesh gone, bare steel showing. He uses a wig to cover it up to the most part. But he used to walk around with a wire coat hanger and a lighter. Yeah. Heating it up and scratching it in the open moon in his uh-huh. head. Picking off tiny, tiny pieces of flesh eating each time and eating them. That is absolutely <laughs> rotten. <laughs> That's no. not all. Chopped up, fashioned his dead twin brother Nubbins' corpse into a crude marionette-like form, which he carried around with him and treated as if he was still alive. Of course he did. <laughs> Now, as I said earlier, while they waited for Chop Top's return, the remaining Sawyer clan still had to eat. So over the 13-year period between the Hardesty event and what was about to come, the family periodically attacked and killed unknowing travellers on the Texan backroads. And although the original Texas Chainsaw Massacre went down as an urban legend, their continued activity didn't go completely unnoticed. Earlier, I pointed out the victims of the 1973 massacre were still down as missing, not dead. And missing people generally will have family that continue to search for them. Mm. This went doubly so for the Hardesties. You see, although Lieutenant Lefty Enright discovered his catatonic niece alive in Newt Murto, his nephew Franklin was still missing. And until shown otherwise in Lefty's head, he was presumed alive. Mm thing about Lefty is he's like the Terminator. Once he's got a mission in his mind, he will see it out to the end. <laughs> that was even more so this time as it was personal. It was for his family and as if he wasn't motivated enough, mm-hmm. the grief-stricken uncle went hell-bent on revenge after 1977 when Sally Hardesty passed away living out the last of her days in a medical care facility still deep in a catatonic state. So this girl was in her early 20s at that point. When she dies. Mm. Lefty was a retired Texas Ranger with plenty of experience and time in his hands. He was destroyed by the family tragedy and he had used that grief to fuel his investigation. Every time a body was butchered in Texas, Lefty would be there and over time he would follow the bodies just waiting patiently for the Sawyers to slip up and reveal themselves. It would take 13 years, but a small-time call-in radio station in Fort Worth, Dallas would give him the evidence and the lead he so long desired. Vanita Stretch Brock was a 29-year-old disc jockey for the KOKLA radio station in August of 1986. She ran the night shift hosting a call-in rock and roll request show along with her radio engineer, LG McDonald. Peters. On the night of August 26th, she got a call she'd never forget. Two high high school seniors, Buzz and Rick, heavily intoxicated and on their way to the Cotton Bowl for the Texas-Oklahoma game, rang in to the show and, to put it simply, they started acting the prick. Making inappropriate comments and wailing down the line. Due to the phone setup, Stretch couldn't kill the phone line and needed the caller to hang up to end the call. 
And Stretch pleaded with the two delinquents, trying to get him off the line. She noticed the tone on the line suddenly begin to change. The once brazen and cocky teens suddenly sounded scared. Their speech suddenly became frantic. There was a humming sound on the line that sounded like it was growing closer. And as it did, the boy's scream became wilder. Over the course of about two or three minutes, you could hear the boys as they pleaded with whoever was present to leave them alone. She then heard it. Full blast and unmistakable. The sound of a chainsaw belting off steel, a gushing sound followed by a crash. Then finally, the line went dead. It was spooky. Stretch and LG weren't the only two to hear that call at night. Well, obviously. It was on live on the radio. Everyone within broadcasting distance would have heard the call. <laughs> Fair enough. Left the right being one of those people in the broadcasting distance of that call. And before the line went dead on the air, Lefty was in his car and on the way to Dallas. So would this be the first confirmed Leatherface attack? would have been if the cops didn't think it was just a bad accident. But the radio call, surely that's evidence. Remember, Leatherface at this stage was just a normal legend. A boogeyman, a scary story to tell around the campfire. For the last 13 years, law enforcement had been out on countless calls to investigate sightings of this beast who had become as elusive as the legendary Bigfoot. The 1973 incident was swept under the rug and put down to nothing more than the mad ravings of a lunatic girl. They knew something went down out there, and judging by the amount of blood she was covered in and the blood stain in the road by the farmhouse, hmm. something fucked up definitely happened to Sally Hardesty that day, oh, yeah. but that's all they had. So over time, law enforcement had been kind of conditioned to just ignore the warning signs. Hmm. All chainsaw-related deaths were quickly chalked down as accidents and put to bed before rumours of the killer family he could kick up again. How many chainsaw-related deaths were they seeing? <laughs> my <laughs> question. Well. <laughs> <laughs> it was for this reason that the presence of Lefty Enright was most definitely not appreciated. You see, although Lefty was once seen as a great Texas Ranger, since retirement and the death of his niece and nephew, he was seen as a bit of a joke. A shell of the man he once was. An old man chasing ghosts around the back roads of rural Texas. And to be fair, Lefty wasn't really all there anymore. The grief had driven him to snap. He was disgusted by the very possibility of the Sawyer's existing, and he was hell-bent on revenge. Could you blame him? It took the promise of the officer in charge of the car crash mm. <laughs> that he would ask the local paper to run an article appealing for witnesses to the accident, and that was the only thing that was going to get rid of Lefty that day. Okay. <laughs> you know? yeah. This was the article that brought Stretch and Lefty together. Stretch, not able to let the chilling phone call go, saw the article and contacted Lefty with the tape. This will give Lefty an idea to lure the Sawyers out and give him a chance to finally get them and get justice. So, another little sidebar, right? Mm. The day that he had this all planned, he had this big plan in his head for how he was going to catch the Sawyers. Mm. But first he decided to go and get himself some weapons. Okay. So Lefty headed to this old chainsaw shop just outside Dallas, yeah, right? Yeah. And this is coming from the chainsaw, the owner of the shop. He okay. said he was inside on the phone and Lefty, he said, well, he said, you know, this fucking cowboy cop looking guy comes in. Yeah. And Lefty walks over, there's this little table and he pulls out like about a grand, a couple of grand, a grand or two. 
throws okay. it on the table. Yeah. Shopkeeper doesn't know what's going on at this point. He's just there asking Lefty questions. What do you want? Can I show you something? How can I help you? All this kind of shit. Okay. Lefty just starts grabbing chainsaws off the wall and having a look at them. Okay. Picks up the biggest one he got and he puts that down right mm -hmm. next to the money. And he looks around, he picks up two smaller ones. And without, he never said a word to the shopkeeper once. Picks up the chainsaws, walks outside, and outside they had like a testing post. Yeah. So it was literally a tree that they had cut down, and that was where you tested out your chainsaw, see how it was any good before you bought it. Yeah. He said he has never in his life seen anyone use a chainsaw the way Lefty used a chainsaw. He said he basically was using it as a motorized axe. <laughs> like he had it on, it was running, but he wasn't just like sawing down, he was like hacking Chopping. down at it and hacking and hacking and hacking away at this fucking thing. He said he laughed his ass off watching this video go and play, you know, work the chainsaw. Well, obviously, Lefty had some plans. Yeah, so he's gearing up for something. Like, he obviously feels like his plan is going to work. Sure did. You see, the Sawyers enjoyed their anonymity. Outside of the 1973 incident, they had successfully stayed off the radar for generations. So the last thing they wanted was attention from the public. I mean, at this point, Drayton is a two-time Dallas Chili Cook-Off champion. <laughs> he is a well-known and respected member of the community, running a thriving barbecue and chili business. Last thing he wanted or needed was anyone stooping around or asking questions. Yeah, questions like, where do you source the meat for your chili? <laughs> <laughs> so you can imagine Drayton's surprise when he turned to KOKLA and heard the latest Letterface track blasting through the speakers and climbing up the charts. Oh, Lefty's using Stretch and the tape to lure them out of hiding. Exactly, okay. and it worked. Only problem was that it happened earlier than Lefty had expected, and he wasn't there to help Stretch when Chop Top and Bubba arrived to get the tape and eliminate the threat. I've already said there's only ever been like five survivors to the Sawyer killings. Mm. Not including the truck driver that ran away never to be seen again because, well, we don't know what the fuck happened to him. Stretch is one of those survivors. So it's her account of events that we are going to be going on. And was she more stable than Sally when they found her? Oh yeah, Stretch was a tough woman. She was obviously traumatized by the experience, but after some time and good counseling, she got her life back on track. And okay. I'm not sure what she's up to right now, but as of 2020, she was still working in radio. Ah, fair play, Stretch. So Stretch laid it out like this. She said it wasn't long after midnight, making it the 29th of August. Mm. Broadcasting for the station generally stopped at about 12 o'clock. Okay. And she was now waiting around to meet Lefty after playing the murder tape a few times that day. Yeah. Causing her a fuckload of grief because the radio complaint line was banging all day. <laughs> LG, the radio engineer, tried once again, like he had done ma on many other occasions, to ask Stretch out for a drink after work. But knowing that she was kind of had her heart set and finished, you know, solving this chainsaw shit, yeah. <laughs> he just gave up pretty quick and took off. Okay. It wasn't long after that that Stretch started hearing noises coming from the front desk and she made her way down to the reception area. This was when she first met Chop Top. Stretch said he looked like a living cartoon, dressed in old tattered hippie style clothes and wearing a Sonny Bono wig. His skin was grey and weathered looking, his teeth yellow and stained. He spoke with a kind of childlike excitement in his voice, frantic but controlled all at the same time. It's said as well that he had a tendency to repeat himself a lot, usually making dick 
declarations and big statements twice. You said almost the same thing about nubbins. Well, they were twin brothers, so you'd have to imagine they would have a lot of similar traits. Plus, 90% of the time, he carried nubbins' corpse around like it was a puppet and spoke to it. So you'd have to assume in his reality, his world, nubbins was there with him in his head. So maybe he took on his personality a bit after death. It's a trait we are going to see in the Sawyers a lot more next week's episode. But it is known the brothers would occasionally swap names or take on the names of dead family members to confuse victims and law enforcement. That way, if they had another Sally Hardesty incident, the names would never match the descriptions. The people the police thought were dead would seem to be alive again. Mm. Even the names I'm giving you today are presumed names. Mm. Names gathered through intense investigation, but with the Sawyers... Nothing is concrete. The story keeps evolving and changing all the time. One thing I can probably say for sure, though, is the man that we called Chop Top was definitely Robert Sawyer. His army record and very obvious war scars made that an easy one to ID. Okay. Stretch clicked pretty quick and realized who it was she was dealing with. She did everything she could to lead Chop Top to the exit door, hoping deep down that Lefty would burst in guns blazing. But before she could get Chop Top out and the door locked, the familiar rev of a chainsaw took off. And out of the darkness, the monster known as Leatherface burst from a darkened room, swinging his blade wildly, trying to catch Stretch quickly and by surprise. Mm. Stretch reckons that the only thing to save her in that moment was that Bubba's chainsaw clipped Chop Top's head, hitting the metal plate and pushing the saw just out of range. Mm. Taking the only opportunity she was likely to have, Stretch took off back towards the broadcast boot locking herself in a storage room that was protected by a big steel door <laughs> chainsaw through that <laughs> thinking she was safe for now at least stretch was briefly able to take a sigh of relief but before she could let her mind settle back to reality Leatherface came smashing through an old timber partition wall between the broadcasting boot and the storage room Oh, shit. How is she going to survive this? She survived Bubba because deep down, Bubba's not a monster or a beast. <laughs> Bubba's just a human like the rest of us. A man. And a man's got needs. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Before Bubba could more stretch down, he couldn't help but notice she was a lady. A beautiful lady. (laughs) (laughs) Bubba had a crush, and after a little inner conflict, decided to give Stretch a pass. She said that before Chop Top could come down to help, Mm. Bubba ran back to reception, grunting to confirm the kill when Chop Top asked. In the meantime, while all this was going on, someone else with a crush on Stretch had returned to the station. LG came back with coffee for Stretch, and was attacked by Chop Top in the reception area. After Bubba returned to Chop Top, they took LG's body and left. Chop Top, thinking the evidence had been destroyed, and Leatherface, not really understanding any better, mm. was blissfully unaware of the chain of events he had just set into motion by leaving Stretch alive. Within the next few hours, the Sawyers would finally be exposed and suffer their first but not last real defeat. Stretch, sick of waiting for Lefty and not willing to see the night be a waste, followed the brothers back to the team park in her car. Mm, the balls on Stretch. When she got to the park, she parked outside, you know, just far enough away not to draw attention, but close enough that if she needed to get out of there, she could get there quickly, like, you know? Yeah. She started to investigate the area while trying to keep her eyes on the brothers' truck ahead of her. As she made her way along, she noticed more lights coming up behind her. But by the time she saw them, it was too late and she had to take off running. It was then the driver revealed himself to be Lefty. He had just been pulling into the radio station when he saw Stretch tearing off down the road. Mm. 
Worrying that he had been too late and guessing what was going on, Lefty followed her to the team park location. And now it was time for him to clean house and get justice for his family. Go on, Lefty. <laughs> Lefty, getting his chainsaws ready, told Stretch to go to the police and get to safety. But before Stretch could make another move, the floor beneath her collapsed and Stretch fell straight into the depths of hell. Ooh. Part of the team park was based on the ground. It had like a fake mining system kind of thing going on, do you know? Yeah. So that stretched all over the property. Mm. Part of the reason the brothers bought it in the first place was for this very reason. Okay. This place had been closed for fucking years. So a lot of the wooden tracks would have been like rotten at this stage. And place was a death trap yeah another reason the Sawyers loved it <laughs> probably Lefty absolutely furious and drowning in a deep rage took the chainsaws he had bought earlier and started to cut down the boundaries around the park making his way through the cave like formations in the place where the family was residing and Stretch was trapped how do we know that like as far as I can guess Lefty probably isn't coming out of this at the other end of life nah but the police investigation knows detail of damage he did as he made his way in you know around the caves and stuff yeah but did the police notes also have the details about his deep rage alright yeah I was trying to be dramatic a bit of you know <laughs> a bit of drama to the story but fucking ruined it now <laughs> cause of death drowned in a deep sea of rage <laughs> I suppose now you're going to tell me that you have no real evidence that the tunnel stretch fell down led to the depths of hell either no wrong how does the Sawyer's meat locker sound when it comes to hell on earth yeah, I'll give you that one, all right. So she literally went down a tunnel and landed bang smack in the worst place you could fucking end up, right? Yeah. She said when she hit the ground, she looked up and there was strips of human flesh hanging from hooks around her. Yeah. And she could see someone's legs coming up. because She was kind of hidden behind a barrel, she said. But she could see someone's legs on the ground. Yeah. Didn't know who it was, just a dead body. She had to hide pretty quick because she said Leatherface came in, Boba came in. Okay. And he pulled out. You know the carving knives they use, like for our parents use it like Christmas when they're doing yeah. the turkey and stuff. He had one of them and he started literally just sawing pieces off of this body oh yeah no he did what Leatherface was known for doing yeah and he cut off this guy's face and he was holding it up in the air fucking admiring it and Stretch kind of got startled and knocked something over so mm-hmm. he spotted her came running over to her she panicked because yeah. this psychotic fucking monster is again in front of her yeah <laughs> So he basically is trying to calm her down. Leatherface is mad about Stretch for whatever reason. Uh-huh. And his idea to calm her down, apparently, was to take the face, the newly freshly cut face he had just gotten, yeah. and put it on hers. Yuck. <laughs> yeah, so oh, she no. said like she could feel the wetness of the blood. You know, She was even saying it to them, it's wet, don't put it on me, you know? Mm. And then he put like a cowboy hat on her and started dancing with her. Bizarre. Like fucking waltzing around the meat locker with her That's- uh, uh, Drayton had actually sent <laughs> Bubba to go do something so he came looking for her so yeah. Bubba like pushed her down and hit her again Okay. and then before he came out to help Drayton he tied her up she thought she was fucked yeah obviously yeah but the dead body in the ground uh-huh. not so dead started moving Got the with fuck no face up. no face and strips gone from his side Ugh. but she said even though it had no face she recognised him it was LG no shit he, he wasn't was killed by Chop Top he was yeah he was fucking badly injured but he was brought back and uh, she said he literally with his dying breath picked up a butcher knife that was left behind by um 
Bubba. Mm. And very close. <laughs> <laughs> so it was dodgy, but yeah. he managed to cut her loose. Okay. And she said that was the last thing to do. After she caught him, he cut her loose, he keeled over, hit the ground, and Gone. that was it. Yeah. She was nice enough, though, to give him back his face before oh, she Oh, well, at least now he can be identified. <laughs> <laughs> Once stretch was free, she took off aimlessly through the tunnels, trying to find an exit, but before she could get anywhere, Drayton and Chop Top spotted her, cornering her at a dead end in the mining tunnels. The brothers mocked Bubba for his crush and, leave, and for leaving Stretch alive in her first encounter. Stretch said, like Sally, at this point terror took over and the brother's ravings just came out muffled to her ears, her brain unable to comprehend the words being thrown at her. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> she said in this encounter, only one statement came true clear. One Drayton Sawyer quote that she could remember. She said, as they mocked Bubba for his cross, Drayton said, it's natural. You want to know about sex eventually? Sex, well, who knows? But the saw, the saw is family. Chop Top then struck Stretch with a large bone-like object, knocking her out cold, and again, just like Sally Hardesty, when she woke, she found herself bound to a chair made of bones, sitting in a dining room from hell. So do you think they would have done this with every victim? I feel like it would be a bit time-consuming if they're trying to run a food business. Like, it'd be like having dinner with every cow, pig, or chicken in the slaughterhouse before you kill them. They're getting their last meal before they walk the green mile. Yeah, I'd rather <laughs> skip it and go straight to the chair. <laughs> Yeah, fuck that. <laughs> Just like in 73, the family ranted and raved at a terrified stretch, reveling in her fear, almost feeding on it like an appetizer before she became the main course. And just like in 73, they decided to give the honor of the final kill shot to good old Grandpa Earl, now allegedly 137, 38 years old. Mm -hmm. Now, if this man couldn't swing a fucking hammer right in 73 when he was the right bowl age of 100. 24, then what chance did he have now? <laughs> he got in one or two clean shots with mm. the help and direction of the brothers. Then to stop her squirming, Drayton took a quick shot, knocking Stretch out momentarily again. So she didn't seize the day and jump through the nearest window like Sally. <laughs> well, before she could, the familiar roar of a chainsaw broke up the dinner party. Mm. That's when Lefty came bursting in the room. He freed Stretch and told her to run. Then he cut Drayton right up the alley and broke into a sword-style chainsaw fight with Bubba. That was the last time Stretch or anyone else ever saw Lefty alive again. Because as Chop Top pursued her out a skylight door by ladder, they heard a boom. A boom. I'll explain later. Okay. Chop Top chased Stretch to the top of a stone tower in the amusement park. It was at the top of this tower Stretch found a room, a spooky shrine to the fallen Sawyers. The corpse of Earl's wife, the mysterious Grandma Sawyer, sitting on a throne of corpses surrounded by skeletal decor and chainsaw accessories. This is just a guess, but I am assuming this is the corpse of the woman Sally encountered in the bedroom back at the farmhouse. Do you remember Grandpa and the hair? The remains of Grandma held a small chainsaw in her hands and stretched desperately pulled at it to get it free so she could defend herself against Chop Top, who was now in a frenzy due to wit the witnessing of the desecration of his grandmother's resting place. That's a nice wisdom to you, is that? <laughs> but Stretch had difficulty starting up the old chainsaw and Chop Top took the opportunity to attack her with a straight razor, cutting her several times in the back, neck and shoulders, similar to that of what Nubbins had done to Sally just before he got run away. 
over by the semi-truck. Yeah. Just as he was about to go in for the kill shot, Stretch finally got the saw going and impaled him with it. Fatally wounded Chop Top then fell back off the ledge, hit the ground and fell back into a hole leading back into the underground cave he had chased her out of. Stretch sat for a while to calm down and collect herself. Then she descended the ladder back into the pit of hell that was the Sawyer's home and slaughterhouse, passing the bodies of Chop Top, Drayton and Lefty along the way. She said Lefty was ruined, like barely recognisable. She then made her way back to her truck and alerted the authorities to the crime scene. This time, the cops had the exact location, the bodies, and the evidence. And for the first time ever, they had a living Sawyer in custody. They caught Bubba. Nope. That's where our title comes in for today's episode. Once again, the legendary monster known as Leatherface was missing. Now, only two eyewitness testimonies to, exi- to his existence. So, who did they catch? Drayton Sawyer. Drayton had only been injured by Lefty with the chainsaw shot and he'd caused the explosion throwing the grenade at Lefty out of desperation. Mm. Apparently he said he was very lucky because mm. he actually dropped the grenade before throwing it <laughs> and barely got it away from himself before it blew up. That's why he took some of the blast knocking him out and presumably making him appear dead to Boba who was now again missing along with Gramps. So the cops had a Sawyer but they didn't fully believe that it was Leatherface existed? Pretty much. They believed it was just Drayton's alter ego that allowed him to kill. See, Drayton claimed that he was no killer, just a cook. The brothers took care of the dirty work and he just made food out of the meat they brought him. But cops weren't buying it. They hypothesized that both brothers were playing the parts of their dead siblings. Chop Top killed his nubbins, hence the weird corpse puppet he carried around. And Drayton wore the face of his victims to become Leatherface, a tactic to strike fear into his victims and allowing him to compartmentalize his killings. It was Bubba's fault, not his. He was only the cook and the meat was dead already when he got it. And what, what about Stretch's testimony? Cops believed her on everything the Leatherface part. They claimed that due to the severity of the trauma she was put through and the various blows to the head she received from the hammer that she couldn't give them a solid timeline of where everyone was throughout the night. Mm. So in their eyes that made it perfectly possible that Drayton was both himself and Bubba and if that wasn't enough they Mm. also thought that he was a man named Walter Edward Sawyer. That's the name Drayton had used on the deed for the gas station he had owned back in 1973. Okay. So that's the name he was going to go down as officially in court records. Police grilled Drayton for hours. About Sally Hardesty, the whole 73 event, nubbins, the family history, the Leatherface persona, his crimes, his victims, everything. Let me guess, the old prick gave him nothing. No, not nothing. He gave them bits and pieces. He gave them enough for them to be able to stitch together a rough idea of what had been going on around the back roads of Texas. Okay. Most days it was vague. And being a Sawyer, he couldn't help but fuck with the cops and try and confuse the situation. Some days, Leatherface was a make-believe boogeyman. The next, he would be a real monster coming to get revenge for Drayton and threatening the families of the cops. Sometimes, he'd agree with them and he'd just say he probably was Leatherface. (laughs) You'd never knew what to believe. But the clues we do have from him are as follows. When asked about Pamela Willard, Drayton replied... She sure did look good hanging there by that hook. Hmm. Being that the Sawyers modelled themselves on slaughterhouse butchers, we can only assume that meant they hung her body from a meat hmm. hook. When asked for about Kirk Wyasan, Wy- 
Wiseland. What's it again? Wiseland is what I'd say. Okay, we'll go with that. He laughed and said, well, that boy took a knock to the head and shook so much he could have been a lady's vibrator. <laughs> when asked about Jerry Huberman, Drayton got sour and said, well, the big dummy, he ruined the head. The boy wore glasses. The eyes were wrecked. We had to go without pate that night. Yeah. No idea what the paddy thing is about. Uh, but cops reckon in the two guys case that they were slaughtered like animals used to be back before machines took over the industry. Okay. Back then in the slaughterhouse, workers simply whacked the animals over the head with a sledgehammer to kill them. Ooh. Because he was complaining about the glasses, my only guess is that when the hammer hit Jerry, it broke his glasses and got the tiny shards of glass in his eyes and face and it wasn't edible for the sawyers anymore. Mm, pick eaters, were they? <laughs> <laughs> Did he tell him about what happened to Franklin? I, I know we know, but the family didn't know at the time. There was no need. They found Franklin's skeletal remains inside the tunnels of the theme park. They brought him with them when they left? Well, yeah, they brought everything with them when they left, remember? No bodies, no bones, no evidence, no crime. Uh, it's why they were no, only known as an urban legend between 1973 and 1986. Okay. So they spent two years grilling Drayton for information on cold places. The rest of his family and Bubba, aka Leatherface. Finally, they gave up and decided to take him to court. They had a mountain of bodies from the theme park and they didn't really need anything else. Mm. He'd get the death penalty for fucking sure after the events of 1986 <laughs> alone. Uh-huh. And finally, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre could be put to bed. So, on August 18th, 1989, the 16th anniversary of the Hardesty incident, W.E. Sawyer, a.k.a. Drayton Sawyer, a.k.a. Letterface, presumed, not proved, was put to death for his crimes, dying in the gas chamber at the age of 69. His last meal was barbecue, and when asked if he had any last words, Drayton said, You think you got him, don't you? You think I'm the one they call Letterface? Well, hey, Bubba, you ain't seen nothing yet. And boy, he was not wrong. (laughs) Because while this is the end of our story for this week, it's not the end of our journey into the legend of Leatherface. And while this week was filled with murder, mayhem, and cannibalism, next week we'll have all that and more, bringing in Conspiracy, the Illuminati, MKUltra, and a cross-dressing Leatherface. The story is nowhere near over yet. Ooh, can't wait. So what do you think of the Sawyers so far? I like them. They seem like a lovely family. <laughs> and that's oh. not even the half of it. <laughs> no. There is a lot more Sawyers to meet next week. Bring it on. <laughs> All right. Before we go, we got some plugging to do. We got a new special mini soul podcast starting mm-hmm. called The Creepy Past the Crypt. These will be bite-sized shows, like five to ten minutes long, where we will profile cryptids, tell scary stories, or just discuss weird paranormal events. Yep. Uh, that will heavily feature in full on our social media, along with our Spotify feed. Yes. And it's definitely going to come. We're definitely going to do two a week. Yeah. Definitely two. I'd say Monday and Fridays probably. So check us out at Alive Alive Pod on everything. Help us out. Give us a rate, a like, a sub. It works. And we'll try our best to provide you with the best in horror entertainment. We (laughs) will provide you with the best in horror entertainment. Okay. Hear me. Yes. Why didn't the cannibal eat the guy with no legs? God, I don't know. Because he was lactose intolerant. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I'm here all week. Don't forget to tip your waitresses. Good night. (laughs) Love you. Bye-bye.